And the second part of it, the second leg that healing, divine healing stands on, is knowing how to receive by faith. Knowing the principles of faith, how faith works, how to make your faith work and bring in the blessings of God. And so for the next couple of weeks, I guess I'm going to start a little mini-series on how to receive your healing. And the first thing that we want to deal with and establish is God's will concerning your healing and, and divine health. Exodus chapter 15 tells us the story of how that after God brings Moses and the children of Israel out of Egypt, parts the Red Sea for them, they go over on dry ground, and Pharaoh's army chases after them, and the waters come together and drown his army, destroy his army without Israel ever even having to throw a rock. It tells us that the Lord, the Lord brought them through to a place in the wilderness called Mara, and the waters were, uh, well, it says they were bitter. There's some discrepancy in, in uh, the idea of whether it means just bad tasting or whether it means poisonous. We're, we're not really sure which on that, but either way, it's not a, a pleasant experience. And so the Lord showed Moses a tree that represents the cross of Jesus, certainly. And he throws this tree into the waters, and the waters were made pure. And God said, Exodus 15, verse 26, God said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and will do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. Now, anytime we read this, we have to uh, refer back to some things that uh, Dr. Robert Young, one of the foremost Greek and Hebrew scholars of his day, the previous generation, really, how he brings out in his book, Hints to Bible Interpretation, he identifies that the Hebrew language has a permissive verb that doesn't really translate into the, the English. Here where it says, and the translators obviously didn't understand that or didn't understand the character and the nature of God. They translated, I will put none of these diseases upon thee which I have brought upon the Egyptians. Well, that denotes action. That translation dictates that God is the one making people sick, some people sick anyway, but that he also has the power to heal. Well, that can't be the way God operates. It can't be the way he operates. The reason for that, there are many that we could give, but in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. In Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6, God says of himself, I am the Lord, I change not. Now in James chapter 1, in verse 17, let me read this to you. James by the Holy Ghost says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights. Obviously, he's talking about God. Comes down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Now, variableness means uh, adjusting. God doesn't adjust anything. And there's not even a shadow of turning with him. And so this idea that so much of the church world has that God is uh, making some people sick and he's bringing healing to others, perhaps as a, a, a sovereign act on his part, that just does not bear up with the scriptures. Over and over again, we see Exodus 15, 26, the principle identified in Exodus 15, 26 to be true. 
because whenever the children of Israel obeyed God, kept his commandments, and walked in his statutes, he brought them great blessing. But that wasn't a, it wasn't something they maintained for very long periods of time anywhere during their history. And time and time and time we see, again, we see that when they broke God's commandments or they started doing things their own way and, and uh, went contrary to what his word dictates, we see that they fell into bondage. Very often they were defeated by their enemies and taken captive. And things never went right for them as a result of their disobeying God. So here in Exodus 15, 26, where God said, if you'll keep my commandments and walk in my statutes, this translation of the, the original Hebrew should be translated, none of these diseases will come out upon thee that have come upon the Egyptians. Well, certainly Egypt would be subject to the, to the uh, work of the devil. It would be sub they would be subject to sickness and disease because they're not, walking in obedience to God. God didn't require them to obey, but they're just going to be uh, subject to anything and everything that's going on in the world. God's offering his people a chance to live above that being subject to the world, specifically in the area of divine health. Now, there are seven different names that God gives himself and reveals himself throughout the history of the children of Israel. But the first one, the first of the seven, I am the Lord that healeth thee. Jehovah Rapha, I am the Lord that healeth thee. The first thing he identifies himself to his people is, there, is as their healer. Now, it's very probable. We can't prove it beyond a shadow of a doubt. But the last thing that took place before the children of Israel were sent out, released by Pharaoh and sent out to go to worship their God ultimately to wind up in the promised land. The last thing that took place was the Passover. And the Passover, you may remember, was to protect the children of Israel from the death of the firstborn. They were to kill a lamb and roast it. There were other herbs and different things that they were supposed to incorporate into this meal. God gave Moses specific instruction and he gave them to the people. They were to take the blood of the, of the slain lamb, slain animal, and put it on the doorpost and on the lintel, on the doors, so that when the angel of death came by and saw the blood, it passed, it passed over them, passed over that house, and judgment upon the firstborn was not exacted. Now, the Bible says in, in Psalms concerning Israel being released and delivered from the bondage of Egypt, it says, God brought them forth with silver and gold, and there was not one people among them. Now, the children of Israel were a group of people ranging in estimate from 2 million to 7 million people. If we take just the most conservative end of that and say there were 2 million people that had been slaves and now Pharaoh had released them and sent them away, it would be virtually impossible, statistically impossible, to not have any sick or feeble people among them. They've been living as slaves for 430 years. Well, slaves don't have the best to eat. Very often they don't have enough to eat. There's all kinds of situations and things that they've been, circumstances that they've been experiencing throughout their whole lives. And so the notion that God brought them forth with silver and gold and there was not one people among them, we know what the silver and gold part is. They were instructed 
by God through Moses to go, the King James says, borrow jewels and, and payment for the time that they've been slaves in Egypt. Well, the people were so ready to see them leave the land, they just weighed them down and gave them everything that they had. And the Bible says that they spoiled the Egyptians. They spoiled the land of Egypt because they took away their wealth. Well, by the same token, something happened to their physical bodies for there to not be one feeble among them. We see in Hezekiah's day, some several hundred years after the original Passover, Hezekiah came to the understanding that the Passover had not been kept. It was something that God expected Israel to do year after year after year. And so he decided to reinstitute the Passover, and he did. He didn't do everything just exactly right because they didn't have time to prepare it in the manner in which they should have. But again, they had been walking contrary to the will and the purpose and the commandments of God, so they found themselves taken captive by their enemies. So when Hezekiah reinstitutes the Passover, the Bible says that God hearkened unto their prayer and he healed the people. He brought physical healing to the land of Israel. Now think about that, folks. Of all the people, the millions of people, God healed the nation. And, he, and it's written to us, given to us to understand in a very specific and literal manner. So if healing came through the Passover in Hezekiah's day when he reinstituted it, then we would have to understand and accept that the Passover, the eating of the lamb, which the, Moses said was for their strength of the journey, that they'd be taking. That's what brought them healing. If there were sick people in Israel as slaves in Egypt, then healing came to them. Strength came to those that were weak. God brought them forth with silver and gold and there was not one feeble among them, not even as the, the slightest trace of any sickness and disease in a whole nation of millions of people. That seems mind-boggling when we think of it in those terms. So when here where he says, I am the Lord that healeth thee, from the language that's used, it's impossible to tell whether he's saying, I am the Lord that will heal thee, just like the waters were made sweet, or if he's saying, I am the Lord that healed you, past tense, through the Passover. The word that's used is a continuous action verb. And so it could very well mean that God was the one that brought healing to the nation of Israel, the people of Israel as they exited the land of Egypt, and that he is the God that provides healing for all of his people when they meet the conditions. And he tells what the conditions are. Keep my commandments and walk in my statutes. Now, folks, we have a similar admonition in the New Testament. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. We have therefore the same promise that we can claim that Israel took advantage of. And that is if we walk in the New Testament commandment of love, then he's still the Lord that heals us. We have the opportunity, I believe the responsibility, because Jesus bought and paid for our healing along with the forgiveness of sins or the remission of sins actually, if we keep his commandment of love, we can walk in divine health too. So here God is identifying himself as the Lord that healeth them. 
them, meaning the ones that were in the exodus from Egypt, but also us because we have a better covenant established upon better promises. And we see clearly that God says he never changes, that he never changes. Well, then we need to identify what that means when it comes to his character and his nature, when it comes to his will concerning healing of the physical body. One of the biggest lies the devil has propagated on the church is that God is the author of sickness, and he's not. The Bible tells us in the first six days of creation, God made everything that he made, and then he put an end to everything that he made at the end of the sixth day. Well, that means if God is the originator of sickness and disease, then he would have to have created sickness and disease in one of those first six days. Which day was it? It's never mentioned in the scripture. And in fact, the Bible tells us that at the end of the seven days when God made an end of all that he created, it tells us that he looked upon what he had created and it was very good. In other words, it was perfect. It was the kingdom of God here on the earth. Sickness and disease was absent. Sickness and disease came about as a result of sin, Adam and Eve's sin in the Garden of Eden. So if God didn't make sickness, then how did sickness enter into the world? How did disease gain a foothold into this world? It came as a result, as a consequence of the broken law. When Adam and Eve disobeyed God, sin entered into the scene, and then sickness and disease, along with many other consequences of evil, then began to take hold of mankind. But that didn't change God. God's the same after Adam and Eve fell as he was before. What his will for the earth, which was very clearly identified and specified after the six days of creation, when he put aside everything that he made and rested. We see that was his will then. And God, who never changes his will, must desire for us to be healed and walk in divine health as well. God doesn't change. Man is, man's a, a changeling. And man certainly did change through sin and disobedience to God. But God never changes. God wants the same thing for mankind now as he wanted before the fall. He wants the same thing for those that love him and those that are a part of his family that he wanted for them before the fall ever took place. And God identifies very specifically his will for mankind in the area of, of health, healing and health. Because there was nothing. When he finished making the earth, there was nothing that could hurt mankind or bring harm to him in any way whatsoever. Disease was a foreign entity. It just did not exist before Satan came in upon Adam and Eve and convinced them to disobey God. Now look with me over to, to Acts chapter 10. Ten years after the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the 120 in the upper room and they went out into the streets, Peter wound up preaching to the crowds that were gathered and 3,000 people got saved on that day of Pentecost. Ten years later, God gives a man named Cornelius, a Gentile, a Roman soldier, named Cornelius. He gives him a vision 
And an angel appears to him in this vision and tells him to send to a certain place and inquire for Peter. Told him right where he would be. Told him how to get there. Gave him directions. And Cornelius sent his servants to fetch Peter to his house. The angel told him to send for Peter who will tell thee words whereby thou and thy house shall be saved. Now, around about the same time, Peter is waiting for lunch to be fixed and, and provided and served, and he falls into a trance, and he sees a giant sheet being let down from heaven by the four corners, and wrapped up in this sheet were all kinds of animals, clean and unclean, and the Lord speaks to him in this vision and says, Rise, Peter, slay and eat. Peter, still thinking about the bondage of the law of Moses, says, Not so, Lord. I've never eaten those unclean things, and I never will. The Bible says this happened three times, and then it ended. Same thing each time. Same sheet, same animals, same voice from heaven. And after the third time, Peter is doubting. He's wondering what this vision means. Clearly, he did not know. And about that time, people have come from Cornelius' house. And the Holy Spirit speaks to Peter and says, Arise and go with these people, nothing doubting. In other words, don't ask any questions, just go with them. And so they set out the next day, and they went to Cornelius' house, which was some distance away. And when they got there, Cornelius and his household and all of his friends were packed in, had packed out his house to such a degree that there was no room left for anybody else. And so he tells, Cornelius tells Peter about the angel that appeared to him. He tells them the things that the angels said to him and how that he sent to him to find a place where Peter was. And then Peter finally realizes that the vision that he had when he fell into a trance the day before, he finally realizes that the clean and unclean animals there represented people, all the peoples of the earth. Not just the Jews, but Gentiles of every type and variety. And then, here it's been 10 years, and after 10 years, they still don't know, the, the disciples, the apostles still don't know that Gentiles can be saved and that God wants salvation for them and has provided salvation for them just like for the Jews. So Peter begins to preach to Cornelius and his household, and in his preaching, he summarizes the healing ministry of Jesus. Acts 10.38, he preached to them how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Now remember what we read earlier in James chapter 1 and verse 17. Let me go back to that and read it to you again. Every good gift, God's associated with only good gifts. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Well, we know what part of that good gift included, and that's healing. Jesus made a specific in, uh, attempt on several occasions to teach the disciples and to let them know, and not just the disciples, but also the crowds that were there, whoever was with him at any given time. He always made a point to say that he wasn't the one doing the works. I know it's real easy for the church world to think that Jesus 
healed the sick and, and performed miracles so that he could prove that he was the, the son of God. But that's the furthest thing from what Jesus claims when he was here on the earth. The Bible says that Jesus made himself of no reputation in Philippians chapter 2. He made himself of no reputation. Another translation says, and, the, and the, uh, the original Greek literally identifies, that he emptied himself of his heavenly power and glory. He didn't come to the earth as the Son of God with the power that he had when, God, when he was with God and created the worlds. He laid that aside. We know that he laid that aside for a couple of reasons. First and foremost, it says in John chapter 17 when Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prays that the glory that he had with the Father before the worlds were made would come back upon him and to him in his resurrection. Well, if he's praying for it to come back to him, then that means he didn't have it at his disposal when he was ministering here on the earth. Another proof text we have from that is when the Bible tells us about Jesus in the beginning of his earthly ministry went first to John the Baptist and John baptized him in water and the Bible says that everybody that was there, John included, bear witness to the fact that the Holy Ghost descended on Jesus from heaven like a bird would fly down from the sky, landed upon him, upon his shoulders or somewhere I guess, and stayed there upon him. Something came down from heaven. Now we know what that something was. That something was the presence of the Holy Ghost. And from that point, Jesus began to preach that he was anointed of the Holy Ghost to heal the brokenhearted and to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised and preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Jesus began to preach that he was anointed. Well, let me ask you a question. If Jesus was the Son of God and still had the same heavenly power and glory that he had before he came to the earth, then why would there be a need to anoint him? And even further, who can anoint God? Why would there be a need to anoint him? And who would be able to do that? Certainly not John the Baptist. But when the anointing came upon Jesus, it was God empowering Jesus to do the works, the healing works, and the miracle works that we have record of in the Scripture. God is empowering him to carry out his, the Father's will, which is what Jesus said again and again and again. He said, I didn't come to the earth to do my own will. I came to the earth to do the will of my Father. Now keep that in mind. That's a very important thing. He came, to do not, he came not to do his own will, but the will of the Father, which means everything that Jesus did had to have been in line with God's will or else that he would have become a sinner by operating contrary to God's will and therefore he wouldn't have been a, a worthy sacrifice, a perfect or a complete or a pure sacrifice for you and for me. So God, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost in power who went about doing good, here's the doing good part, and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. Folks, every satanic or every disease, every sickness is satanic oppression. There is not one sickness, there's not one disease, never has been, never will be, that is or could be, could possibly be of God. I know some people have the idea that God teaches us through sickness and disease, but that's completely contrary to what the Bible says. How would God use something that belongs to his enemy, the devil, to bring about a benefit or a blessing for his children? 
It's absurd to even think in, like, in those terms. So where it says God, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power, we know when the anointing took place. He was anointed by the Holy Ghost after John baptized him in the Jordan River. So he was anointed of the Holy Ghost and with power and went about doing good and healing. He used that power for the benefit of mankind who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. All that were oppressed of the devil. That means everybody that Jesus healed and brought back to divine health. That means he broke satanic oppression over each and every one of them. Now, I don't want to make it sound like there were evil spirits involved in every case or every situation because that's not what the Bible teaches. But sickness and disease itself is satanic oppression. It robs us of joy. It robs us of life. It can even go to such a degree where it robs us of our physical life. It brings us to an end. brings our physical life to an end. But everybody that Jesus healed was oppressed of the devil. How can, he, how can Peter make that statement with such confidence? Because sickness and disease is always of the devil. There's no possibility of sickness and disease being from God because he doesn't change. Because there's no variableness in him. There's neither shadow of turning. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Holy Ghost is the same yesterday, today, and forever. They never change in any way, not even in the slightest detail. They never change. Now, I want you to look with me to John chapter 9. John chapter 9 is a real important story because there have been many in the church world in times past and even today, I guess, that use this scripture or this story of healing the blind man to teach that God sometimes brings sickness and disease on his people to teach them or to advance them, deepen their piety or some silly thing like that. So we'll start in verse 1. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? I can't go past this story without pointing it out every time I read it. They understood more than the modern church world does. They understood that sickness, this blindness, that had taken hold of this guy from the time that he was born, they understood that sin was the problem. They just didn't know whose sin was the problem. So they asked, was it his parents' sin that brought this tragedy upon him? Folks, look at how the devil brings condemnation. There's nobody on the planet, nobody on the face of the earth that feels worse about this boy being born blind than his parents. But here's the place where the devil wants to pile on. I'm sure the, the parents had lived with the, the threat or the accusation of the devil saying that something that they did wrong in their past is obviously what caused this man to be born blind. It's impossible for a baby to, be, to, for a baby to sin because he doesn't know the difference between right and wrong. So it couldn't have been the man's sin. But Jesus doesn't even say it was the family's or the father's and the mother's sin. They asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered their question. They only asked one question. Whose sin was it? Whose sin caused this? 
Jesus answered and said, neither has this man sinned nor his parents. He doesn't tell any more about whose sin it was. But we know from the truth of the scriptures whose sin brought this to bear on this man and unleashed sickness and disease into the earth. It was Adam's sin. It was the original sin. So Jesus said, neither has this man sinned nor his parents. But that the works of God should be made manifest in him, I must work the works of him that sent me. While it is day, the night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now I want you to understand something, and I'm not trying to split hairs and make excuses for anything. But it's a fact that the original Greek scripture, the, the Greek, the original Greek that the New Testament was written in, does not have punctuation. It certainly doesn't have chapter and verse divisions. The translators added those to help us understand, and by and large they did a, a fantastic job. But there were some things that they didn't understand about God's character and his nature. And that's reflected in their bias, unconscious, I'm sure. They didn't know that they were biased because they didn't know they were ignorant about certain things. But the punctuation here makes it seem that God made the man to be born blind so that Jesus could perform a healing work in him these many years later. The Bible tells us that this man that was healed was above 40 years of age. So he's been blind for 40 some odd years so that Jesus would have somebody to heal on this particular day that he came by. Well, that doesn't seem like that's the character and the nature of a loving father. So let's see if we can make some sense out of this. Jesus answered their question and said, Neither has this man sinned nor his parents. The, margin of, uh, the text in my Bible has a colon there. I would suggest you put a period there. Neither has this man sinned nor his parents. Here's another thought but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. He's not, using the, he's not declaring that the works of God should be made manifest in him as the reason why he's blind. He's just simply saying, I've been sent to the world to work while it's day. The time is coming when I won't be able to work. That means from the time that he's crucified. But before then, before the crucifixion takes place, he is there to do the will of his father, not his own will, but the will of his father. So the answer to the question that they asked is neither has this man sinned nor his parents. But here's a more important point. But that the works of God should be made manifest in him, comma, my Bible has a period there, and it goes on to the next verse. But I would suggest that it has a comma there because the thought's not finished. But that the works of God should be made manifest in him, I must work the works of him that sent me. I must work the works of him that sent me. Now, notice something about this story the works of God have not yet been made manifest in this man. In other words, the blindness from birth that he's dealt with and had to deal with all of his life, however long that is, that was not the work of God. Jesus is saying something else has to take place, something else has to transpire so that the works of God can be made manifest in him. Well, we know what works take place. We know that he spits on the ground, makes a little clay mud pack of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam. And it tells us that he went his way and washed his eyes, and he received his sight once again. So what work did Jesus do? Jesus said he's working the works of his Father, not his works, but he's doing the will of his Father. What work did he perform? 
Did he make the man blind? Was that the work of God being done in him? Jesus said it wasn't. Jesus tells us that the work of healing, the restoration of this man's sight, was the work, was a result of Jesus doing the works of the Father who sent him to the earth. Jesus doesn't have to pray to find out what sin this man's committed. He doesn't have to pray to find out if God wants him well. And furthermore, since we know that God doesn't change, if God wanted the man to be blind from birth to begin with, then he, since his will never changes, he never changes and his will never changes, then that would mean he would want the man to stay blind. God doesn't play both sides of the street. He doesn't play the blind side of the street with the healed side of the street. He's only on the, on the side of healing and health. He's only on the side of doing works that bless his children and bless his people. So when this man is made well, is healed, receives his sight, that's the work of God, not the blindness, but the healing from the blindness. That's the work of God for, uh, put on display. That's what Jesus is revealing as the character and the nature of his heavenly father. And that character and nature never changes. And folks, the Bible says God said of himself that he's no respecter of persons. That means if he healed anybody else, he'll, he'll heal you and he'll heal me. He doesn't want one good thing for his children or one of his children and not want it for the rest of them. And furthermore, the Bible says Jesus took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses, and with his stripes we are healed. Jesus has already paid the price, the total price, the complete price for healing to, be, to belong to you and me. That means, and this is so important, this is such a, a necessary foundation to walk in the will of God. When we understand that sickness is never from God, when we understand that satanic oppression is what brings sickness and disease upon people, then we don't have to pray in the dark, so to speak. We don't have to pray and ask God his will concerning our healing. Jesus is his will concerning our healing. And he took upon himself stripes, and that by those stripes we were healed. I want you to look with me over to Luke chapter 13 also. Luke chapter 13, it tells us a story of a woman that was bowed together. Let's just start reading in verse 10. It said, And Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bowed together and could in no wise lift up herself. Now remember Acts 10, 38. It tells us how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with it. Here it talks about a spirit of infirmity. Now, we don't know exactly from the language if that means there was an evil spirit attached to her body or if it's just talking about this, this condition of being bowed over and always the only view she had was the top of her shoes. We don't know if that means there was an evil spirit that was upon her to enforce it. Jesus doesn't cast an evil spirit out of her. So apparently it must be the same thing as Acts 10.38 is talking about oppression, satanic oppression that caused people to be sick or diseased. So there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bowed together and could in no wise lift up herself. And when Jesus saw her, 
he called her to him and said unto her, Woman, thou art loosed from thine infirmity. Thou art loosed from my, thine infirmity. Now, we may interpret that as an infirmity rather than a sickness or disease. It could be that she had some form of arthritis or something like that that prevented her from being able to stand up or, or walk uprightly. It seems that if it was a sickness or a disease, then it would manifest itself in, in a different way than just limiting her movement or restricting her movement, not allowing her to stand upright. But, rather, uh, but whichever way it is, we see that Jesus goes to her. She doesn't come to him. She doesn't come to Jesus because she's heard that he's healing the sick. He sees her and takes the initiative to go to her and set her free. Now, if God's not a respecter of persons, that means that's his attitude towards you and me too. If God never changes, then the same thing that Jesus did for her, not of his own will, not to perform his own will, but to do the will of the Father who sent him, then that means the same results are available for you and me. So Jesus said, Woman, thou art loose from thine infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. You know, we hear things throughout, uh, from time to time at least, in the modern day church. We hear where people say things like, Well, I guess I'm sick for the glory of God. But you never can find any of those people in the scripture. You can't find any of those people in Jesus' ministry. Never was there somebody that Jesus came to that they wanted to be healed or Jesus just gave them information to say, God wants you to glorify him in this sickness or this disease because this is his will for you. He didn't find one person, not one person of all the multitudes that he healed, of the thousands of people that he laid hands on and brought healing through the speaking of his word. Not one of those people were anywhere to be found. But I tell you what you can find. You can find a whole lot of people that glorified God after their healing was manifest. You can find a whole lot of people that glorified God and recognized the goodness of God and gave themselves over to be a follower of Jesus as a result of the healing mercy and the healing power of God. Again, Jesus is saying, I'm not here to do my own will. So when he brings healing to this woman, it has to be the Father's will. Now here's how Jesus understood the Father's will. Again, he didn't have to pray. He didn't have to go up into the mountaintop and make an arrangement or an appointment for her to come back later. He didn't have to pray to find out what's going on in this situation because anytime there's sickness and disease, we can know what's going on. It's the devil's work. And God sent us into the earth to lay hands on the sick and see them recover just like Jesus laid hands on the sick and made them well. So he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. And the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day. And he said unto the people, There are six days in which men ought to work. In them therefore come and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. The Lord then answered him and said, You hypocrite. Does not each one of you on the Sabbath day loose his ox or his ass from the stall and lead him away to watering and ought not this woman, here's Jesus identifying the will of the Father. Here's the action that he took, the healing power ministered to the woman to make her straight, enable her to stand upright. Here's what Jesus knew and what Jesus thought that caused him to take the action that he took. Jesus said, and ought not this woman, 
being a daughter of Abraham, who Satan has bound, lo, these 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? Jesus gives two reasons why he ministered healing at the will of his Father to anybody and everybody that would allow him to. First and foremost, she was the daughter of Abraham. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Sickness is a part of the curse of the law, according to Deuteronomy 28. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Now, why did he do that? That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles and that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Jesus knew everything about this. He knew what was going on. He knew who was doing what. And now the ruler of the synagogue has just identified himself, outed himself to care more about his laws and the details of the Sabbath day rather than the people, help the people that God loves and cares about. So Jesus says there's two, reason, two reasons why she ought to be free. Number one, she was the daughter of Abraham. And the second reason is that Satan had bound her these 18 years. 1 John chapter 3 tells us that Jesus, about Jesus, for this purpose, was the Son of God manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Everywhere Jesus was allowed to, to minister, everywhere that people would receive him, as the one who was anointed, a man anointed of God to bring help and blessing to his people and to reveal their heavenly Father to them. Everybody that received him, Jesus was willing and actively performed healings, miracles, and restoration of, of the physical body. Matthew summarizes Jesus' ministry as going about their cities and villages, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, teaching in their synagogues, and healing every manner of sickness and every manner of disease among the people. Folks, God's will never changes. What he wanted for this woman, he wants for you and me. What he provided for this woman and for the blind man in John chapter 9, he's provided even more for us. We have a better covenant established upon better promises. For us, the work is already finished. For these people in Jesus' ministry, the work had to be done. But now it has been done, and Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. God's will is always for healing to take place. God wants for all of his people, all of his, his family, every bit of his family, he wants to walk in divine health. And he's made available a way for us to do that because Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. The stripes on his back, the shedding of his blood surrounding the crucifixion of the cross, everything about that was to pay a price so that you and I would be able to walk in divine health. It is always God's will to heal the sick. It's always his will to heal you and heal me. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. He still is with him, but he's with us too. We need to just reach out by faith and take hold of what belongs to us. Now, next Sunday night, we'll talk about how to receive and how to take hold of things, the blessings of God, the healing power of God by faith. So let's close with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you that healing belongs to us. We thank you, Father, that Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses, and with his stripes, we are healed. We declare, Father, by faith 
that our bodies are well. We declare that the healing power of God, the very quickening of the Holy Ghost, quickens our mortal body from the top of our heads to the soles of our feet. We thank you, Father, that no sickness and no disease has power over our bodies. We refuse to allow it to take hold of our flesh in any and, any and every way. Lord, you said what we bind on earth would be bound in heaven and what we loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. We refuse to allow sickness and disease to gain a foothold and to gain a place in our physical bodies. And everyone under the sound of my voice, Father, we minister your healing power to in a supernatural way. We know there's no time or distance in the Spirit. And so whoever hears these words at whatever point in time they hear these words, we thank you, Father, that the healing power of God is ministered to them to restore them to divine health and to raise them up from sickness and disease. We speak these things, Father, in faith. We thank you for bringing them to pass. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Well, thanks for being with us tonight. We hope you can join us back here on, online on Wednesday night at 7. And until then, stay safe.